podcast? Can I review the tape? Yeah, I'd like to see, where, we see, we're going, see where we're going here. So what is what does your normal day look like for you? Are you just making these calls, trying to figure out what's actually going on in the county? or Well, a lot of what I do countywide and, and uh, statewide and even sometimes international is I do uh, a lot of on the phone. I, I have all kinds of people. I'm not an expert in things, but I usually have the ability to get to somebody who knows somebody who is. And I like to to go and have a good foundation in dealing with people that know what they're talking about. Makes me look smarter. It, it does. It always helps having people around you that are smarter than yourself. True. And so one of the things in preparation for this podcast, when I would Google your name, the term county watchdog seems to pop up a lot. That does. It's public meeting uh, enthusiast pops up. Um, I do participate a lot in the different forums and. Uh, and a lot of people get a hold of me with things. They say, hey, Kent, I don't want to go speak before the Board of Supervisors. Or there's an issue here with Arcata City Council. So they educate me, and then I vet the, uh, the things they're talking about, and we go from there. And so you don't just focus on Eureka City Council and the Board of Supervisors. You're no. pretty much everywhere. It, it's everywhere from state issues, Humboldt County issues, uh, things that are important around the world. I spend close to half my time now I'm spending down in Mexico. enjoy being down there. Um, moving a lot of my investments down to Mexico. I found that uh, people ask me why, and I said, well, if I'm going to be in a third world country, I'm going to do one that already knows how to do it. And there's so many things they have dialed in so much better than we have here, their health care. Uh, just about everybody seems to work down there. Up here, we have, seem to have so many people that are lost because they don't have a purpose or a job. And uh, family's really strong down in Mexico, so I enjoy that part of it. I think we've lost a lot of that in the United States. A generation or two ago, everybody kind of went to the wind, and now we're lucky to have a family unit to, to babysit our kids, to grow up and live with. And I think multi-generational uh, institutional knowledge passed on is lost quite a bit in our society here in the United States, whereas parts of Mexico I go to, maybe the big cities are the same way, but parts I go to, you'll have three or four generations of people living within a block of each other still, and if not on the same parcel in the same household. So. And where are you going down there? What part of Mexico? I enjoy a place that's um, called Quino, Mexico, or it's outside of Hermosillo, and Hermosillo is the capital of Sonora. And uh, we, uh, they have a, a place outside of Hermosillo called Quino, and it's right on the water, Sea of Cortez. So um, fantastic place to be, pelicans flying over your head all day long, and, and, uh, and then just join the people down there working and working with them. They, we work together. And the weather helps. That's a big Weather plus. helps. It does get a little too hot and muggy. Right now, I think it's averaging, the other day it was 70 down there, 48 at night with five mile an hour winds. So it's a, now, now is a good time to go down to work. I probably should be there right now. But. And so do you, you feel that the U.S. is becoming a third world country? Or is that just in terms of its values or? I think in, its, it's in everything. I mean, the property values here are so inflated, I feel. Uh, we're so run strictly strictly by greed. Um, everything I see seems to be based upon greed and desire for power. Uh, I don't see a very good working relationship with Mother Nature. Um, a lot of what I, I kind of look at two things. I, I ask myself, what, what would Mother Nature say or do, or what does she want me to do? That's one question. And then if I'm trying to solve a problem, I go, well, what would Elon Musk do? I mean, that's... Those are two North those, Stars. Those are two of, on my shoulder. Of course, I, I, at any time, you know, I kind of think, there was another powerhouse here politically. His name was Leo Sears. He passed a few years ago. He's kind of a mentor. I kind of go, well, what would Leo do under the circumstances? He was able to get things done. So, and Why get involved in this political realm? 
Well, it's, you know, it's the future of my children, my grandchildren. Um, if I can leave the place better for everybody environmentally and, and uh, find ways to create jobs so people don't have to leave here. So many families come here. I went, I went up to Humboldt State. I tell people I was there for, um, it was nine, 13 years I was at Humboldt State. The first, uh, the first nine were at College Elementary School, where uh, from kindergarten up through eighth grade, we went to school there. So spent a lot of time. I'm really happy to see, hopefully, the direction that, that uh, the university is going to now. Um, back when I was there, it was a college. Uh, but with the, with the new polytechnic school coming, I'm hoping that we can partner with them. I think it's a perfect place for people to go out and work within the community. Uh, there's nothing better than someone who's, uh, I was going into business when I was a freshman, being a business major, and I got a job managing a jewelry store in Eureka. So I had hands-on people. I was being mentored, learning the practical application of what I did learn at Humboldt State. And the, the, the education I got managing the store, in my opinion, taught me way more than I learned in four years at Humboldt State there. But it's good to have a rounded education. And that aspect of jobs and employment, that seems to be a big part of what you focus on. Well, it seems, it seems to be what we're lacking here, you know, with the crash of the, the weed business. Um, we lost the timber business. I, I just see certain, certain opportunities here that are being missed. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking today with um, uh, the Humboldt County Planning Director, John Ford, and we were talking a little bit about the need for jobs here. And so I called a friend, a couple friends, uh, like I say, they be our think tank was what we call it sometimes. And they said, one, one thing we're really missing out on is we have, I think, four or five fiber optic cables landing here and uh, coming over from, from Asia. And uh, instead of having the foresight to have those high-paying technical jobs of getting that information disseminated up into the cloud, we're running fiber optic lines over to, to the valley over there, to Reading. And that makes no sense to me. I understand it's a high energy usage. Well, hopefully we're going to have offshore wind or some form of affordable energy here. And for our people not to say, hey, if you're going to, if you're going to land those cables here, then, then we want the jobs to go with it, not just a pass-through you know, kind of a setup where there's a few maintenance guys around. So I, I, I could see that partnered up with the um, uh, Polytechnic School and all the training that the people could have here. Um, I'm in favor of such, such things as the... Uh, Nordic Aqua Farms out there. That was a project that I felt, you know, it does deserve a try. And uh, a lot of people have different opinions on that. But I also, I also enjoy communicating with Jeff Hunterlock. He's operating Engineers Union, and he's looking after the jobs and bringing along union people and training people. So I enjoy working with people that are, are doers and they, they have ideas. And, and if I can do some small little part in bringing any of those things to fruition, that's what I'm about. Is there a lot of interest to... Do something with that fiber optic cable and keep that local? or There really hasn't been. And today, this was just something that somebody said we're really missing out on. So I'm hoping right now to start generating some interest. Our, our politicians, I spoke with Supervisor Steve Vadrone br briefly before I came over here and kind of planted a little seed. Say, Steve, we, we might want to look at that. You know, and we need, we need a little bit better uh, outlook from our, our staff you know, regarding economic development with the county. I mean... It, a lot of people still, they say, are still leaning on the weed thing, you know, and that, that, as far as I'm concerned, seems to be pretty well gone. If, if you're realistic, there may be small little niche things, but uh, to find these things and, and go after them, you know, just try, unless we try to do things and use our political power and have our local people, we need all, everybody on board, you know, we need, the, especially the, the county supervisors, and then we need uh, Mike McGuire and, and uh, 
Assemblyman Woods, you know, and, and Jared Huffman and these people, if, they, if we can all work together, I think maybe we can, can create these jobs we need here. Uh, so many of my friends and family, uh, people say, well, my kids couldn't find a job here, so they, now they're off in Minnesota or they went down south, you know. And uh, I think we, we need to really look, look at these things from a, a long-term viewpoint, not just something that lasts for five, seven years and then it's gone. Yeah, a lot of people leave Humboldt because what is there, what what is there, is there to do? There to There's do. no career options. There isn't. And uh, other people, you know, in t talking with my people, uh, a lot of them, you know, our main thing is here we're a, a bedroom community, retirement community. We, uh, we have so much to offer for, for the natural resources things here. Uh, so I think tourism, ecotourism, a lot of people say we want them to come here and spend their money and then leave. And, you know, a lot, a lot of what we're looking at, we're promoting so much housing and things. And I have some overall viewpoints that are a little different than some people. I think the human race is the only invasive species we have here on the planet. Uh, and we can do all these neat things as far as, you know, electric cars and those things. But realistically, uh, I don't think we were as big a problem, you know, two or 300 years ago with our population we had. And I don't think the human race, you know, um, has a chance of, of continuing to be here unless we're really willing to downsize our population. Uh, you have large countries like China and things they don't really seem to be interested in, and they have large population. They're still burning the worst coal you can have. And, and uh, until we all get together as a human race and, and uh, try to, to make less of an impact, and the only way I can see that really happening is to have our population downsize. When I went to high school, it was kind of embedded in me, and our families all pretty well do it. You, you replace yourself on the earth, you know. Uh, I ended up with three boys. The last two were twins, so I didn't really have an option there. But, uh, but you know, as far, as far as that goes, my son is, is uh, expecting his second child, so he have a boy and a girl. And, uh, and my, my other son already is done, you know. So we, I kind of think as long as people are, are looking at encouraging growth, you know, we need more houses for more people, but... Maybe we need to have less people might be a better solution. What do you think an answer for that is? Just having less children overall? It's got to be. It's got to be voluntary. Yes. Mm -hmm. Really, really. Well, the education I got back then was instilled on us, and that's what we followed. I don't. That doesn't seem to be a policy anymore. It seems to be so many things the government seems to do. They want to do something, but what they actually implement is counterproductive to their overall goal. And I see that as as being one. You know, instead of Better quality housing, maybe, and fewer people, you know. Um, right now, I'm looking at, uh, since my gift, which I consider uh, being self-diagnosed autistic, we weren't diagnosed back then. It didn't happen. But all my, all my grandchildren are all on the spectrum. And so by that, life's been a little bit easier for me in some ways. And so my creativity, I see right now, if you want to have a positive effect on housing, again, working with Humboldt County, planning and building. I had John Ford on this morning. Uh, got the name of someone to talk to about t tiny house villages. You know, um, to me, that's uh, something of the future as far as that goes, as far as housing goes, where people can own something themselves that now might be able to $65,000. I mean, a young person starting out cannot afford, you know, unless they're able to inherit something or uh, get some kind of inheritance, they really don't have a chance, you know. So I, I see that as, as far as a future going, trying to design those kind of things. Super efficient. Uh, gray water. Uh, and so there's a lot of problems in doing that. Affordable housing does not happen here uh, very easily in the United States. Um, down south in Mexico, I bought one parcel uh, because of the way things work, something that would take four or five years here. I split that parcel into four parcels, and within one year, 
I sold off the four parcels that I'd split. And those parcels went for $12,000 a piece. So if you can imagine up here, you know, something the similar small parcel might go for $90,000. Well, uh, sewer and water hookups here out in my area are $25,000 for a hookup. You can't be affordable. Down there, it's a matter of a couple hundred dollars to do the hookups. Uh, they pick up your garbage for free. There seems to be a, a lot better health care in Mexico. As you can tell I'm really up on what they're doing. You're there. selling Mexico. If I, if I can bring some of those things back, you know, here as far as attitudes, health care down there is fantastic compared to here as far as cost goes. It's, people go down there to, to, to get their dental work done, to, uh, to get surgeries done and things like that. It just seems to work so much better. And I, I just go, why? Why can't we, supposed to be one of the smartest countries, have, have the, the quality of health care they have down there and have some of the other benefits they have? And I think part of the problem is here is that so many people don't work. I really see down there, you know, you, you have people that are working in the field for seven or ten dollars an hour a day i mean for a day uh uh they're out there and and uh i i can get an electrician or plumber down there for fifteen dollars an hour you know and so it seems like just about everybody works that way and as soon as we start uh pricing ourselves out of the job market here where you get a company says i got to pay twenty three dollars twenty five dollars with benefits for an employee well then of course he's going to automate and we seem to be getting instead of having more jobs we're getting less and uh, and that basically leaves a lot of people that all they can do is is have their hand out, you know, for stuff. And that's not what makes someone happy. I feel that's very unfulfilling for someone to not have a job. I see so many people down there that they're they're happy even though they're making very little, you know. And there may be three generations living in the same house, and uh, you have maybe five or six people in a family all working to really get by the way they would like to live. But they all seem seem to be happy because they have an accomplishment. They're doing something. And when people don't do things, then that leaves them to other things that are negative, I think. And so I see so many people fall between the cracks because they can't get a job. They can't feel self-fulfilling. They can't feel accomplished. And that's bothersome to me that our society seems to be doing that to people. You know, and there's so many, so many people who need so much help. And I, I, they used to call it workfare rather than welfare. Well, I didn't feel that as a negative thing. I thought, you know, give the person, people who want to work a chance, you know, to go ahead and and train them to move up. You know, it's like the, the union training that Jeff Hunterlock would do. And I'd like to see those things start in the high school. I mean, go to the high school. If someone's not going to be academically inclined, why, didn't, why isn't he making $110 an hour as a certified welder or something? I think that's part of our problem. Here's our educational system. It's very flawed. Um, I enjoyed the educational system in Germany, where at a certain age, you still can bounce back and forth. In other words, you, you aren't limited but they do kind of say, hey, you're headed more down toward an intellectual path where you're going to go down where you get higher education to be a doctor or whatever you're going to be. And the other ones are sent to trade schools. And uh, they come out of there with skills where they have good living wage jobs. We seem to lack that here. It's an interesting dichotomy in the sense of comparing us to Mexico, right? Because they don't necessarily have those social safety nets that we do. You can make the argument, or I've heard the argument made that that's you know, they're not necessarily working that hard by choice, but because that's what you have to do to get by is you have to work that hard. You have to have a bunch of kids so that they can help work, provide for the family. And uh, I think that needing to have a whole bunch of kids is going by the wayside. The, the families I'm working with now are having two children down there, the, the ones uh, I have a Mexican corporation and was fortunate enough to have a, a family member who, who was from Mexico. And so the family down there, I'm, they're kind of my second family. 
but I, I am watching, and, and they're pretty well. Uh, the people I'm dealing with in small villages are having having the, the two children. They're, if they sometimes if they don't get a boy out of the two, they want to have one more or something because of the attitude down there. But but uh, but I, I see that also changing down there. I I I don't know whether the safety nets are a help or a hindrance. Um, sometimes I feel that you know if they have to do something down there to survive, they do it, and I I think that. They seem happy down there to me. That's that's all I can say. You know, you, you the people down there seem at least where the places I am seem very happy. Uh, they work hard. They may work seven days a week. Uh, one little village where my my uh, daughter-in-law's family was from, San Miguel de Hortacita, that they go out every morning frequently and they work seven days a week because they're milking their cows and uh, turning it into to uh, cheese to sell. And you, when you have cows, you have to work every day, even if it's 110 out there. Uh, you know, they, you'll see seven or eight guys all pile in the back of a pickup and they go out to their different ranches and they come back at the end of the day. And then, and then on, on the weekends, we drink some beer. Do you think that happiness stems from the hard work or from the family values? I think it's all of those things combined. I think, I think those are what make people happy from what I've seen. A human being has a need to have camaraderie, to be accepted. Uh, if they're just stuck in front of a TV all the time or on the internet or on their phone all the time, I really don't see that as, as the lack of social interactions like we saw with COVID. You know, when the children had to wear masks or they didn't go to school, my understanding is we, we've dropped, you know, if we had two years of, of the COVID thing, they dropped one year of school at least. And I really, I really always felt sorry for the children because you learn to look at people's eyes. You know, people's, their eyes are smiling, they're smiling, but when you can't see someone's expression, it's really, it's really hard to, to have that social interaction. I think a lot of people have gone into a virtual cave basically now and they're, there are a lot of them are not coming out after this. So um, I, I was sorry to see that push so hard where the children were, in my opinion, um, not allowed to, to go to school and find some way to do that, uh, take care of the other people that are older, you know, and firewall that. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I have my booster. I'm supposed to get another booster and get my uh, couple other shots here. I got three the other day. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I was one of the first people, my wife and myself, wearing our masks in Costco because I had the N95s back when our main guy was saying, don't wear any masks. Well, we were wearing them in Costco, you know, uh, but I was glad to see them see them go. I'm glad that it's now to a point where we don't, you and I aren't having to wear a mask here. And that's great. A lot of people willingly went into that virtual cave and enjoyed being in there. Yes. There's a sort of pacifier effect when you have that phone in your hands. It or is. on that screen or behind the computer. I, you know, I, I've, I've seen, uh, have personal things where I feel family members were addicted to it. First thing they would do when they came home. And just, I guess maybe a lot of my generation was more addicted to the TV. Uh, but back when I was growing up younger, there was channel three and six and then 13 came along. You know, it wasn't like 120 channels. And even now I, I have a bad habit of having the TV on too much to keep me company. I would be doing a lot better if I was outside doing something. Um, we have such a beautiful place to be outside here. And just sad to see so many people not enjoying what we have here and instead in the virtual cave. So, Well, I mean, even here in what we're doing right now, it's a sense virtual. I mean, you and I get to be here in person with the people listening at home right. are well, not here with us. I, I hope they're not too bored with what we're discussing. Uh, and, you know, the main thing I, I look at is, People would say, well, why am I getting into podcasts? And so people know I think this is maybe the second one I've had. The other one, 
was just as a taxpayer's league person, but but I'm getting into them because I feel the the people that communicate and get ideas and, and develop a think tank, and I don't know how it'll work or if eventually I leave my email and people can email me things. Uh, I I love constructive criticism. If I'm wrong about something, I, I, it's nothing better. I expect it to be backed with facts. Uh, people are willing to give me opinions. This is my opinion. I want to disagree with your opinion. But if someone can prove me wrong and give me the facts where I'm smarter and, and learn from that and can use that knowledge, that's the main thing that, that I feel all of us need to do. We need more, more getting thoughts together, you know, and they used to have sticky dot meetings and those things. Well, I, I'm on the phone sometimes three or four hours a day talking to a topic. And someone, someone the other day I was uh, lit up by a, Tom Wheeler of Epic, you know, they have an eagle down south and the PG&E wants to cut down this nesting tree and there seemed to be no reason to cut that tree down. And I'm so pleased when, when people kind of get together on a topic like that. Um, and uh, in my conversations, you will notice I do have some angst with PG&E. That's a trend I've always had for a long time. And a lot of the large corporations I do have, have problems with, uh, with how they seem to place their greed above the, the needs of the, of the other people out there. And some of them do great. Some of them are fantastic, very responsible, and there's other ones on the other end of the spectrum who aren't. For someone to go down and have to, have to cut a, a nest out of an eagle's nest, an eagle, a tree out from underneath an eagle's nest this time of year when they're starting to work on their nest and they may not reproduce this year, that, that stuff was, is silly because that tree, if it needed to be cut down, could have been cut down three months ago. There were other trees. The nest, I understand, could actually be physically relocated, and the eagles might take it back over. But for for uh, short-sightedness, you know, and uh, a lot of what's happened out there. And, and I do have a great respect for uh, for people like Larry Glass with NEC, the environmental people. Um, I, I feel that, you know, a lot of them do a good job of protecting what I feel is listen to Mother Nature. And that's one of the first things I said, uh, left a message for our new supervisor, Natalie Arroyo. I said, you know, if you can, just think about what would Mother Nature want you to do on these things. And usually your decision will at least be headed in the right direction. Well, PG&E is a prime example of a company that only cares about the bottom line. Seems that way. I, I first got irritated when I always, I always fly economy on the plane and walked by a, a one of the planes, and the, here was PG&E in the first class. There were about six of them there, and one guy didn't get a seat there, so he had to sit in back, and they were giving him a hard time. But that kind of concept, you know, to me, well, just because we're making money and we can bill it and pass it on to the people, that's no reason not to be. I, I'm extremely frugal. It's, some people call it cheap. I like the term frugal. But uh, there are times when I'll repurpose something or spend a whole day doing something. I might be making 25 cents an hour, but at the end of the day, I've saved something from going to the dump, and I've learned something. And, and I think that um, I, I see that a lot, again, back down to Mexico, where, where so many things are, are thrown out here because of planned obsolescence, instead, I guess because of lower price. And they'll have a lot of boneyards where they have parts for refrigerators, stoves, and things. So I think basically the overall life of, of an appliance down there is at least twice as long as here for the same appliance. And then I've, I've noticed uh, I even get a kick out of because when you, when you get a refrigerator that's shot and doesn't work anymore, well, we make it into a tool chest down there. Or you, well, you find some place to use the thing for instead of having them all go to the landfills. And uh, that I appreciate, you know, when people are willing to and willing and able to take the time to not go and buy something new. I, I spend... A lot of times, like today, I'm, I was uh, on the, on Craigslist, and there was a good gas, natural gas water heater out there that was, I think, five years old for two hundred dollars. Well, the new one cost me 
725. So of course, I'm going to pick that one up, hopefully on the way home. And then it'll get another five or seven years out of it rather than somebody putting it in their backyard or taking it to the dump. So. Did you hear that the Biden administration wants to ban gas stoves? Did you hear about that? Yes, I did. Um, I'm, I'm a realist, you know, uh, until they actually develop enough ability to develop elec- electricity to the point they think they have, I, I will stay with, with, with the natural gas. Um, price on it just went through the roof for some reason, I heard. But uh, I know the cost of when I, when I do things, uh, as far as PG&E bills, you know, I, I've heated my house for years with wood heat. Uh, I, I have the natural gas for, the, uh, for about everything else in there. And it, it's way less than the electric. And that's kind of sending a message. I don't know. I, I can't see us weaning ourselves from it until we're ready to. It's the same as down in Mexico. If you, if you want to tell people to quit driving your cars, well, between Hermosillo and Kino, once an hour, 24-7, 365, you have a bus transit system that goes down there. For not much money, you know, the people can go back and forth. So you, you pretty well have to build it, and then they will come. Instead, we're trying to make people give up something, but there's nothing to go to. Our transit systems are pathetic up here. Um, you know, I know they can't get enough ridership to make the new routes work on a continual basis. And uh, they, they have to find that and make it workable before people are going to be willing to give up their I can't see them. We're rural. You know, giving up your cars and just having, if you need to get a relative or someone to the hospital or something like that, and you or neighbor doesn't have a car and you're out in the middle of somewhere, well, where, where are you going to go? I mean, it just doesn't happen. Well, that, I mean, and that's the crazy part about the grid and electric cars is they want everyone to go electric, yeah. but we don't even have the capacity Nowhere to let near. you charge your car. We can't, right now they can't. I mean, we, we're having brownouts and don't turn on your air conditioner down south. Don't charge your car. At this level, and I don't know what level of, of electric cars we have out there now, but it, maybe somebody has that information, 10, 15% at the very most. And can you imagine even doubling that? And the grid capacity, no, PGD is not going to put it in. <laughs> they, they said they're not going to put no, it in. No, Blue Lake, they just totally redid the natural gas lines, 100% out there in Blue Lake, the whole thing. And I hear, understand they're doing that in Arcata. So PGD is saying, we think the future is going to be in the natural gas. And well, PG&E just doesn't want to invest the money. Of course. Because well, they, why? They, I don't know, but they invested it in the natural gas because I think they actually feel, I would think they would feel that that would be their return on investment, that they don't think natural gas is going away. Well, there was that one viral moment, I think, where California came out and said they're going to ban gas cars. And then a day or two later, they came out and asked everyone not to charge their electric car because <laughs> the is. grid was going to be overloaded yeah, or you, something. They've got to, they've got to, got to fix it. You know, sometime, you know, I, I, I like to do research and find out things and offshore wind is a very hot topic up here. Now, uh, they feel it's the future. I have people that, you know, who, who actually, you know, check into the things. Uh, and my understanding is there, there's very few, maybe only 10 or 15 of those offshore wind turbines actually functioning in the world. Uh, and this is the floating kind. This is the kind that we put out. None of them are in the conditions we have out here uh, as far as depth, as far as the, how Mother Nature runs things around here. I, I, I think man might be over, over uh, oh, gone beyond their skill set to fight Mother Nature. These are places where... You know, we can't even keep ships afloat out there, yet alone having these things. And my understanding was the first 10 they put in uh, in the North Sea, only there's only like maybe six of them are still functioning. I don't know if the other four are on the bottom of the ocean or on the beach or in storage or what it is. 
But I want to see what I want to see. I'd rather have them experiment somewhere else rather than us hanging everything on this particular thing out here. Have no problem with the experiment. You know, if they want to put in 10 of those and do it in an environmentally friendly way and see what effect it has, uh, even the people who did the leases, the leases, boom, I think is what it was, who did the, the leases off here a month or two ago, they had a paper out there where they don't know what the neg negative impacts are of just the cables that will transfer the, transfer the power under the water. Uh, they think there's a chance it may have the same effect, negative effect as the Navy had with sonar. It might disorient uh, the ability of fish to migrate, whales to migrate. I don't want to be part of a, another what, what the cannabis business or, or the weed business was. They called it building an airplane while we're flying it. Well, it crashed. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's better off to, to do things slowly and not hang your hat on everything. And uh, I don't want to be part of a, a big experiment out here and all of a sudden find out our fishery's gone, the whales can't migrate, and the birds can't fly right. Whatever it is, I, I really don't think Mother Nature wants it out there. I think that she might find it to be an affront. If she does, she'll send it down to Davy Jones' lockers, what she'll do with it. So um, I always caution the human beings on, on a, are you really fixing a problem? Are you causing another problem? And is, is the fix of the quote-unquote fix of the problem we're trying to fix worse? worse than what we have now. So I'd like to see them slow play that. And I'd like to see some studies done on the ones, uh, you know, that are trying to operate. Um, again, on, on uh, all these things are worth trying. I have a big problem with, with what all these things do as far as storage goes. You know, we, we, lithium is one of the nastiest things out there and how it's mined is my understanding is pretty bad coming out of China. There's not much of it. And as long as we're relying upon that as far as storage source, see, that's the problem with all of your solar, your wind, it's not a consistent source of energy. And so you're going to have to have very large batteries of some type or, or, or some way of storing it. And I don't think we've come up with something that I feel is feasible. Uh, I, have, I have a friend, he's an engineer, and I asked him a question about battery storage, and he went back to MIT. It's, you know, I say, like I say, I try and get people who know what they're talking. There is potentially, I guess, a, a um, carbon battery, back to a carbon battery, that's supposed to be way more efficient and, and uh, charges way faster. And, of course, it's just about inert as far as, as, far as things go. Carbon's an element. So uh, as far as recycling that, uh, you know, it shouldn't, shouldn't be a big problem compared to dealing with lithium and what it's doing out there. I was working through that report that you sent me about the wind farm out there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make it all the way through, but it seems like the environmental impact is a huge worry. I guess there's some similar wind farm out on the East Coast, and they're starting to recognize that there is some effect on the, the sea life out there. And now they're worried that that's going to have the same similar effect out here. But nobody's really doing the work to figure out I think that what was, extent I think that's that was, what, was from Boom. I think the one I sent you was from them. I like to go to the people who are supposed to be the keepers of the thing. Yeah, we, we don't know, and uh, it's it, that's why I forward that same thing to to uh, Epic, to to Tom Wheeler, and to Larry Glass with NEC, and and uh, I forward, forward that to some of the tribes also, you know, because right now, uh, if people don't understand politics in our area, you know, it's the, our local tribal people are, are big players, and it's kind of like a hundred percent will support whatever the tribe is down to where the E River dams are. It, I mean, there's beautiful river. Those dams don't belong there. They should be gone. Um, and if it wasn't for politics of, of the water needing to go over the hill to the Russian river to keep all the uh, vineyards going and things, you know, they probably would be gone by now. But uh, it, it's really hard for us to, to, to get a, a working relationship with our representatives when their voting bloc who put them in office 
want the water somewhere else. And uh, at, with uh, Mike McGuire, I had a meeting with him. I mean, there was a meeting, a kind of a town meeting in Blue Lake. And I said, Mike, I have two suggestions. I say, if you want to have a successful trail, you know, that you want to do, work with Supervisor Steve Madrone. And the other thing I want out of you is I want to promise that you will never try to take the water out of the Mad River and take it down south. And, of course, um, he didn't listen to the first one. And uh, and the second one, he wasn't willing to promise. So I, I've always felt that um, one of the flaws mankind has is to moving assets or whatever Mother Nature has around. When you start taking the water out of her watersheds, starving those, uh, it has disastrous effect on that watershed. And all it's done is, is build a, a false environment down south that when the water goes away, like during drought or, or, or for whatever, well, man's not meant to be there. We weren't supposed to be there. And so we've, we've tried to play, play a mother nature and we're not good at it and we're not willing to listen to it. And I, I could see easily, uh, I have a crystal ball, and I, I can guarantee you just about 100% that the mankind will downsize by 95 to 100%. I can't tell you when, but it's just a matter, you know, we're... we're that uh, feels like a doomsday prediction. Well, it is, but it might be 500 years from now, so it's not, it may not be our worry. We do have to always look at it and always look at what what do we need to do. I, I, I will say, well, either we're going to voluntarily downsize our population or else our environment will do it for us. And I think that's pretty well acknowledged by people. And uh, until we, we realize that, I think we're in trouble. Well, it's an interesting thing where we have this push from the current administration to go green. And it seems like the due diligence behind looking into what that actually looks like is just being negated. That we're just going through with these green projects without looking at the environmental impact because we want to say that California's green. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I feel that, you know, so much can be done as far as, uh, you know, protecting our environment and helping it. But the, the method that is going about it doesn't seem to be realistic. And when, anytime you're basing on something, hey, it's a wonderful idea, but it can't be accomplished, you're wasting your time. And you usually have more negative effect than you have positive effect. It's kind of like there was a, um, everybody says we need housing here. Well, Mr. Kramer was going to do a housing project um, in, in out, just outside of Eureka out there. And uh, it was, I think, going to provide over 300 houses. I mean, is and, that the one out by, where was it, Redwood Acres or some, Redwood Fields or Somewhere something? out in that general area. Yeah, it's, it's a, there was a big, well, it's, yeah, it's the park was split off out there. The, I call it the Rex Bone Memorial Park. They got some other name for it. But it was in Rex Bone's district, his backyard. And, uh, and then part of that was split off, and that, and that was sold off to go into residential use. And, uh, and he, he, because of the fact that he was being required to, or being pushed so hard, to go away from natural gas and go strictly electric, we won't see that housing project, is what I've been told. He's decided, well, I don't have to do this. I'm not going to invest my time and money in this. And uh, when, when you have people that are so ardent that they're not willing to to work with somebody and give somebody, the developers here are leaving. I mean, there's very few developers that are around, and I, I, I was one of them. We were a very small company, but we built some of the, the earliest affordable housing, 10 plexes, four plexes, started in the Blue Lake area, Blue Lake Enterprise is what we were, uh, and then did, the, did that quite a bit out in other areas. Uh, but we, don't, we can't build, afford to build here anymore. That's why I can go down to Mexico and, and provide affordable housing down there for people 
that seem to appreciate it more. I don't, I hate to have to say that, but people around here kind of seem like it's owed to them or something. And so when you, when you enable someone down there to, to get a, a lot for $10,000 that they can build a house on, it, it seems to be, it's more comfortable for me at least. I don't know what it is. Maybe because I can't understand everything everybody's saying. Maybe they're saying something behind my back, but I doubt it. I, I really, the people down there are, you know, I go down the road and, and uh, I feel lucky because having been in construction, I do that. And uh, I work with my people down there. They see me at 68 years up on, on scaffolding up there, shouldn't be there. Uh, but working, you know, long days with them. And, and a lot of the crews, they drive by and they always, they wave because I guess I'm the, the gringo who works with them and like they do. And I, and I enjoy that. I, I've always enjoyed working. Maybe that's, I think it's a good thing. I feel, I feel I've had a good life because of, because of a work ethic, a depression ethic that was instilled by my parents. Uh, they, they lived a depression. My dad, one of my dad's earlier jobs was on his uncle's farm, straightening out nails. And uh, in other words, they were salvaging everything during the depression. So, um, We've gone on the opposite side of that. It's just all just throw it away, get something new. If you're if you don't like your black stove, refrigerator, and dishwasher, get a stainless steel one, even though those have quite a bit of life left in them. Um, I don't expect everybody to be having harvest gold or green refrigerators, but those were the colors back in the day. But I, I do I do wish people would um, not be so feel that they had to impress people by having the most current things. I love antique furniture way more than things. A, a beautiful piece of furniture that's 150 years old that's lasted that long rather than some stainless steel and plastic just does my heart good. It just it feels warm to me. I don't know what it is. Well, and it's built different. Old furniture was built to last. The stuff you that's get why from it's still here. is just... <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a fiber, fiber board and what things. And, and uh, my, uh, I bought my first house. I think I was 18, I think. When I was 18 or 19, I bought my first house. And it was old Victorian. I redid it. And my mother helped me furnish the house, and she got into an antique business after that. And so I, I learned a lot about the antiques, and I've always appreciated that. I I collect wallpaper. Nobody does wallpaper anymore, but um, I, I enjoy duplicating the old buildings. I I maybe I live in the past too much, but um, I'm comfortable there. And when I when I see a beautiful a beautiful piece of furniture or something that used to sell for nine hundred dollars, that I'm feel a little bit bad giving the person 254 but that has lasted for 100 years and will probably last another 200 because of its construction now there were crappy furniture back then also you know you could get them you get them sometimes they're still around a few they were catalog furniture put together out of parts to a sears catalog or something back then but the, the nice quality stuff is is what i enjoy working do you think society is kind of gamed to be more consumeristic oh yeah and that you can't back then you could buy i mean take cars for instance you could buy a 1970s car and odds are you could probably figure out how to fix something because it was fairly simple. Whereas now, if you have a twenty twenty Kia, and you Can't open the hood, it. yeah, you it's like a spaceship down there. It's like uh, like my son was parked in a parking lot down south, and they cut off they cut off his catalytic converter. Well, I I was told that person takes that and it gets salvaged for that for like two hundred dollars when he takes it to a place for the salvage. Which, by the way, that should be a law where these salvage places cannot take them, except these things, you know. And so now it costs what? It costs two thousand dollars or something for for to get a catalytic converter on your Prius, at least. And then, of course, you've got the bat when the battery goes on it. You've got a, a perfectly good car that could go for another ten years probably, but the cost of the batteries is more than the the car is worth. So, it, it's 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 all things of planned obsolescence, and a. Uh, uh, 
a, I guess it's a norm. It's, it's marketing. I was a, I, one of my emphasis was marketing when I was at Humboldt State up there. And it's just, you know, hey, what you have is no longer in style. It's not in style. It's not that it's not functionally. The, 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 the function's there. It's just the form. It's not what everybody wants to have. And you got to have this, that, and the other. And, uh, and that's, my opinion, is part of the problem we have is that people, people are just about shamed into, into being most current, being the most this, that, rather than something that could last them for a long time. So, Well, it's not even always just the style. Sometimes it is the function. I mean, that was the big thing with the Apple iPhones, right? Oh, is yeah. they, they throttled down the older, the older versions so that you had to buy a new one. But I can't even operate my phone, as I showed you earlier here. And I, I, I'm, I'm one who's never really... Um, I, I had one of the first, first video games you ever had, a Fairchild or something like that, you know, and it was kind of playing some of the games and stuff. I never did get hooked on it, but, you know, it was interesting. Uh, but, you know, the technology does change. Uh, do I need that technology to really stay up to speed in my work? No. I, I have a, a computer, which I'm lucky to, if I get my emails on it, could Google a few things, and a phone that I can figure out how to, how to dial, even if I can't turn it off and on. Uh, you know, that's all I need. The, the, my communication, you know, and I, I don't like texting or emailing. I think it's very inefficient. Just imagine if we were having this conversation back and forth now, on an email basis, we'd be here for a week with what we've done. Whereas uh, the verbal communication, uh, and I like hearing your voice. I mean, that's a lot of what you get. If you can't be eye to eye like we are, at least you can read somebody, you know, by their, their voice and things. And as soon as you hit mechanical things, then it's... You lose something. It's impersonal. It's distant. And you do lose a lot of ability to communicate. It's plain and simple. It's just, how do you go against that, though, in today's day and age, where it's just the speed of progression is so rapid. How do you push back and say, no, we want to be able to fix our equipment or figure out a way to recycle this so that we can keep it? I personally push back. If you want to deal with me, you got, you, we're going to have to get on the phone and have a chat, you know? Uh, no, but I mean, in, in terms of the rampant technological expansion of now you, you have to buy a new phone every year. You have to do this. You have to have the latest fridge. Well, I don't go to have to. I mean, I, I feel... You know, it was kind of back when I was had some of my first rentals, I had some people that were being subsidized totally. And they said, well, would, we've got a bunch of VCR tapes. Would you like to borrow them sometime? I said, well, I can't afford a VCR. You know, um, I, I think that the whole thing is, is pe I don't think people have to have those things. There's, there's a difference between have to have and want to have. And as soon as people really say, well, do I have to have this? Well, no, my phone still works. I can call someone if my car breaks down. I, I would want to have it. I want to have all these apps. I want to play the games all the time. I want, to, I want that. But I'm not sure it makes people happier or makes their lives that much more functional. I don't think it's that necessary. That's what trips them up is they think that they need to have it. And then that's that called will marketing. Be, yeah, <laughs> that will make them happy if I get this new yeah, thing. Yeah, as long as you... As long as you have a brand new shiny car and you have yourself a $500,000 house up here down south, it'd be a hovel, but, uh, you know, th then you're supposed to be happier. But I don't see that in people. And that's why if, if I could, if I, when I went to this little town, San Miguel de Hortecito, one of my things was I was. I guess I didn't turn the volume. You didn't turn I, the volume I did off. not turn the volume <laughs> off on that thing. I'll set it. But it, it's, when I went through the town, I, my objective was I said, I want to find a house that needs work. And, and I want to rehab a house down here. 
And I went into the building and I, I thought 90% of the houses weren't inhabited, which they all were. It's just the, the, the people weren't spending all their time. The, the house I did end up buying, uh, I got, I can't remember what it was, $2,500 or $3,000 on a double lot. It was a family house. Uh, nobody wanted it for two reasons. It didn't have any indoor plumbing, had one electrical service into it, and it was haunted. And so for that reason, I was able to get that house quite reasonably. Um, but people li can live in a house that costs them that much down there, and they do. And, uh, you know, you don't have all the things up here we expect to have. Um, the, the water system on the ranch I went to was very impressed. I considered it to be a place where you could survive because the water that they used to, to irrigate or bring the water up for the livestock was a donkey, and they, had a, they put a, a bag on its head, and they said that worried the donkey, and he'd go around in a circle, and uh, it, that would pull a, pull a, a, went through a cam and then a chain down into the well and, that had rags on it, and that donkey would bring the water to the surface. So that was a, a pump without any kind of, they've replaced that since with a gas pump. But you could, if you had to survive and went back to a place where you could survive, that was still close enough to the, the old style of way to do things that people would go, could go right back to it. You said that your, your dad had the, the depression mindset? My, my, yes, my dad and mother both were, were very frugal. You think that wore off on you oh, in that definitely. sense? It was totally instilled in me. In fact, I, I appreciated it. I, I, I saw how, how it worked, and I saw how, how uh, well, my neighbors up there were the same way. They, we were all kind of raised. I was very fortunate to be raised up with Mother Nature up on Buckley Road, up above Blue Lake on the hills. But there, there was not, I didn't have much interaction with other children that much. We were, it was a mile up and down the hill and, you know, up, up and had to go both ways in the snow, uphill both ways with no shoes on. But, uh, but it, you know, it was a wonderful place. Like you, very few people had that closeness to mother nature to live where you could, like I think yesterday I called it, I call those waffle wind days because when I was young, it smelled, always smelled like waffles, still did before the storm came. And I used to go up and sit in the top of a redwood tree, much to my mother, not telling my mother I was up there, and just be in the wind, you know, and just be outside and just enjoy, enjoy nature, or, or running late at night with my dog through the woods, you know, with a full moon or something like that. Those are the fondest memories I have, you know, as far as childhood goes, is just being so close, that not being in a city, not being, you know, having that much interaction with people, and maybe, maybe I don't get along with people as well as I should because of that, but, uh, but I, I, I do feel I have a, a rapport with Mother Nature a little bit more than a lot of people do. And I, that's why I kind of align myself a little bit, quite a bit with, with what we, we refer to as our indigenous people here, uh, because some of them still have that true heart. There's other ones that are not. It's about, all about greed and things like that. And those are people I do have a problem with when they hide. I call it hiding behind the beads. You know, I, I find that phoniness to be very, anybody who's disingenuous, you know, who doesn't really... Um, doesn't really walk that walk. That, that walk yeah, that's that just people. Me. You can find that in anybody. Oh, it's anything, anywhere, you know. And it's it, and it's it's. But we do have a lot of good, good local indigenous people who do have good hearts, and they they work. And I I do you know with a lot of the things they have been working against. I'm glad to see them becoming forces to be dealt with in our society. It's the same down in Mexico, they have the and people down there, and they're, down there, the these people are getting, they're listening to them a little bit more about you know because. I feel they're the caretakers of Mother Nature, and uh, and they were here before us, and and they they deserve our our respect, um, you know. And so so I've always always felt. One time I I called into uh, the Hoopa tribe and I said I said, do you have a a linguistic somebody who has your language? 
do you have a word for karma? And, and the guy called me back. He says, later it is. He says, and now that word is up in our office. We've put it up there. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I've always felt, you know, close to, the, close to the people who are close to Mother Nature, I guess. What do you make of that Alan Bongio situation? Alan, Alan uh, made a mistake. Can you um, explain that for people that are listening that don't, aren't familiar with it? Well, Alan, um, Alan was a planning commissioner, and uh, there, he was the chair of the planning commission. And uh, there was an issue there on a on a project, and um, he he felt that, uh, as far as I can tell, I can't speak for him, but my indication is, he he felt that there was a deal that had been struck between a developer and between the tribal people on how their concerns were going to be dealt with on a job where where we had an individual there whose name I won't mention, but had gone ahead and and uh, kind of got permits, just did what he wanted, you know, and figured he'd get away with it. Um, and, uh, Alan had an angst because he felt that a deal had been done and then reneged on. And, uh, a lot of people don't quite understand, uh, and maybe it was lack of clarity, but even staff represented there was there. And uh, as far as I could tell, uh, the problem didn't come from the, from the tribal people. They had done their deal pretty well, but the coastal commission had a lot of angst with this certain developer and history with them. And last minute, they did a 180 on what, what they had kind of, everybody kind of worked out and agreed upon. And Alan uh, Bongio made, in my opinion, the mistake of, of uh, he got over, he got a little bit, a lot of the angst. Yeah, he, got, he, he, went, he went over the top. And, there, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of people who've seen that happen, you know, and uh, not just with the tribes, but, but other things. But Al, Alan made a mistake. And, he directed more towards everybody who was, I think he referred to as Indians at the time, uh, which I, that, that word doesn't bother me at all. They, that's what they refer to each other. Um, but, it, but anyway, you know, you've got to be politically correct. And so Alan wasn't, and he did, he did express himself, and he should have just done it once and then kept quiet, but kept going with it. Um, so it's unfortunate because Alan Bongio was one of the best uh, planning commissioners I've seen in a long time, he had practical knowledge as far as being a builder, dealing with getting permits, the whole process, uh, and he was a great chair. He was a great chair while he was there, and sometimes those things happen. And to this day and age, uh, you make one mistake, you can you kind of like I, I refer to going. You can go to a restaurant, eat there for thirty years, you get one bad meal, and you're going to badmouth them for the rest of your life. Well, our our society doesn't seem to be all that forgiving, and. Uh, when someone does make a mistake, which was made, and so that's so he paid the price for that particular thing. Uh, there were all kinds of accusations, like he was out there working on the project, and I called Alan, "Did you work on the project?" He said, "No." One day they were trying to pour concrete, and I don't know, if, you know, concrete. There's something called a stamp. You stamp your concrete with, and if you want a certain pattern, you have to. Ask, I dropped by my patterns because the concrete guy didn't have what he needed. So there, you know, the rumors fly. But the worst thing with Alan that happened there, and I, I apologize to Alan when he was. Um, remembered or saluted at the last supervisor's meeting was, was his family was harassed. And Alan didn't even know at the time some of the things that were done. So when people go and, and uh, you have a problem with me, talk to me. Don't talk to my granddaughter. Don't talk to my wife. Don't harass them and threaten them, you know. His family was harassed his family in reference was, to the in comments? Ref, oh, yes, in reference to that. And I, I call it um, when you have political people I call it you going out doing torches and pitchforks. If you can't control your people so that they don't cross that kind of line, because I, why would anybody want to serve on any position 
if if you were if you made a mistake in your family was gonna gonna feel feel for their safety. Uh, that that to me is unforgivable when that happens. And there's all I guess that's a common thing now where they say, well, if you see a politician out there and he's trying to eat, eat his dinner, go in there and you know cause him problems. Well, ask to have a meeting with him, and hopefully you can have a meeting, but not in front of the, the wife and the grandkids and the kids. You know that that just why should why should they fear for their life when 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 you have a disagreement with them? So I've always felt you know. And, there's one exception to that. I do. Have, there's one son of a supervisor who basically was benefiting. I won't mention the names, but uh, but that person I felt it, then that was fair game when that person was sitting in that person's office doing deals for for weed permits. Are saying, we talking about Rex Bonesong? I'm not, not going to say who it is. Anyway, um, pe- people know who it is. We don't have to go with the names sometimes. But, but that when that when that happens out there, then then I feel it's fair game. Other than that, I've had other things where I've known had. People bring me things about this person did that person, and I said, "Well, that what what their personal life is 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 like, unless they're intertwining it with their job, is none of my business." Once they step in the line of fire, it's fair game. Yeah, you know, if they 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 bring bring someone into it, then then it is fair game. But but I I I when that that is in my opinion unforgivable, and uh, life's too short. And why would anybody want to possibly subject themselves? I, people go, why aren't you supervisor? Why don't you do this? I said, well, I, number one, I can't do what I do. You know, I, I couldn't go to all the forums. I couldn't attend all the planning commission meetings. I would, I would be very hobbled as far as different, different things that I, I enjoy doing. And I feel I can have as much or more positive effect, hopefully, I try to, than if I was sitting in a chair. I do totally, I, I totally respect people like Steve Madrone. I get along with Steve Madrone quite well. I feel I feel we have a good relationship. I've reached out to our new supervisor Natalie Arroyo, and I I I think one of my first first things was try and listen to Mother Nature. And I said, hopefully we will be able to um, to uh, agree to disagree on topics, and the next day go to the mat together on something when we share a common interest in something. And I think that's the sign of a politician. If you have somebody whose skin is so thin. But you can't come out and say, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard when it is, you know. Uh, and then the next day, can't, can't, hey, let the personal stuff go, go away. Let's go ahead and decide we need to protect this or we need to do the environment or something like that. So that's the sign of I've seen of, as far as someone who, who's a good politician. They, they're able to, to well, and you see it all the time, you know, and in, in, that's the dysfunction we have in our government, it seems to be all over. People, they get their personal this and they go after that. And, and that's fine. Yeah, but let, let's agree to let's agree to do something good for the people, you know. And so I'm I'm hoping to uh, to continue with my my working relationships spe- specifically with Steve Madrone and maybe Natalie and and some of the other people I I I try I try to work with, you know. And and some 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 are into that, and some are just have set in their own way. They that's fine. Do you feel like you have a little more power working outside of the system than if you were to run? I oh, I, I feel I would I would be very less effective if I was. I call it hobbled by sitting in a chair. Um, I feel sorry for those people. I mean, they're, they're, my job's really easy. I get paid in karma credits, as far as I'm concerned, and, and uh, trying to help on things, whereas they, they, have, uh, they have the responsibility for what, not listening to the other people out there that have ideas. And, and there's, there's so many times we have, I told you so's that shouldn't have happened. We had a real problem here, and we still do. And sometime I'll, I want to talk about risk management. That's a really big topic out there uh, that doesn't happen within a lot of municipalities and the, and the cities and things. They don't they 
don't do what they need to do to minimize their legal costs for litigation and things. And that's a real pet peeve of mine. We had we had a really good, in my opinion, uh, Jeffrey Blank, who passed, I think, probably about a year ago now, a good friend of mine, was county counsel for, for Humboldt County there. And one of his skill sets was negotiating. So instead of something going to litigation and stuff, he would get the people in the room. He told me one story, one of the largest litigation things that never did cost the county a lot. He just he said, well, I want the plaintiffs here. I don't want to talk. The attorney will be here with you. But he got him in the room and said, what do you want? And, of course, their attorney ceased to make money at that time because that went away. And it ceased to count the county, cost the county much because it was something that was doable. So instead of ending up with a, you know, a two or three million dollar litigation both ways, uh, my opinion, uh, uh, certain attorneys are really good at, I call them peacemakers, especially in family law. There's nothing worse than, than family law when you have two bulldog attorneys causing these two people to have conflicts. They're going to share that kid for the next 16 years or kids or family. And yet you're putting them off and, and lining your pockets by causing problems. And uh, I see that in the legal profession. There are great attorneys out there. They are peacemakers. On the other hand, there are ones on the opposite end of the spectrum. And uh, Je Jeffrey, uh, he died basically of a broken heart uh, because he wanted to do his job and he wasn't allowed to do his job. And he was good at it. And when I, when I see politicians who, who, who get someone like that and and put them on paid administrative leave because they they had a serious concern that was in the county's interest, and and well, and if you won't do exactly what certain CAO or certain supervisors want to do, to be be run through that thing, you know that kind of a thing. Uh, so disappointed to someone who wants wants to do the right thing. So that that bothers me a lot to see that happening, especially with unqualified people who don't understand the legal percept, you know profession. I I'm not a lawyer, but I I can. Any field I want, I can get anybody on the phone about any time, and uh, and uh, it's it's something that bothers me. We had a very large judgment come out of Arcata. Um, we'll talk about sometime maybe in more detail, but it was a three point nine million dollar judgment for someone who ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. Is this in reference to the the trailhead? That's the trailhead one. Can you lay that out for people that don't know? Oh, I can kind of give a short version. But what happens is there was a trailhead at the bottom of Fickle Hill Road. And uh, the way I understand it, uh, and I did, did get the paperwork, public records request, there was a, a $3.9 million settlement without any admission of guilt. Well, this was settled by a uh, settled out. It goes to the, uh, the cities all have a pool they belong to, so it goes to the pool member, and, and they apparently felt that it was in the best interest to settle out rather than chance it in court. Uh, I could see, you know, what is a star athlete, you know, an athlete coming down the hill on a bicycle who who according circumstantial evidence is, you know, with the 3.9 mil, you know, there was something wrong with the process. In a particular parking lot, I looked at it, and uh, I, it, it, it's non-functional. It's an accident waiting to happen again. And that was my angst, and that's why I'm pushing so hard on that, is I don't want somebody else, because of the gross negligence, in my opinion, the opinion of others of, of a city or municipality, not fixing the problem. It's still the same as when they put up one sign that said you're supposed to Instead of pulling inwards to the parking lot, once you get in the parking lot, you see a sign. It says, well, you're supposed to pull up the road and back into the parking lot so you can pull out forward. Well, the parking lot, it's not a parking lot. There's no asphalt, no ADA. There's no curbs in the back of it. You, I, a car the other day, I, I was told, 
was seen being pulled out because they backed into the parking lot and then went off the bank down to the trail. But this is an angst of mine as far as risk management. What specifically happened with the settlement? Somebody was coming down the hill and was struck by a car? On a bicycle and was struck by a vehicle is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Pulling out of the parking lot. That's, I don't have, the, the, I didn't get into total details. I got into details of the settlement. I never did, never did get into that. That's my understanding. Yes, it was a vehicle accident was related to that particular site. But fix the problem. And I mean, the account, they've done, Arcade has done nothing to nothing. try to fix that. We, we've been asking them, and I, I got a hold of their insurance people, you know, and, and uh, I keep them posted on what's going. But th- this is a, a lawyer's dream. I mean, if you go before a judge and, and they, the, it happens again, or let's say a whole, bi- whole, whole school bus of kids go, you know, the judge is going to say, well, the, the new lawyer is going to say, well, they were aware of it. They paid $3.9 million. Why didn't they fix the problem? And, and I, I've, so I started having people look at uh, different ADA compliance and different, uh, I call it accidents waiting to happen, uh, and, and I've requested that the city go out and do a risk management on all their assets. Look for these accidents waiting to happen. I mean, so you might, you got, got to go get a grant and spend four or $500,000 to fix something and maybe save someone's life or keep someone out of a wheelchair and save that much more money, you know, for the whole thing. It's, uh, just it doesn't make any sense to me. Common sense is 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 if you have a problem, look for your problems and fix them. What is a stitch in time saves nine? Well, you know, for five hundred bucks here or ten thousand dollars there, maybe you save yourself another three point nine million. Um, That's a painful lesson I have to learn. It is, but they haven't learned it's the problem. I always I I love I say well I love to learn from uh, my successes and other people's mistakes. That's you know it's. it's why should I learn from my own? I don't. I don't want to make my. But to to not learn from your own mistake, I feel that that that's that's no common sense there at all. That's foolish. It's foolish, and I I, I threw the f word at it there, but it is foolish. And um, I I I love the term befuddles. It befuddles me. I looked it up just to see what it meant. Uh, why why people aren't you know doing what they could would should do. Instead, they go on and do a whole bunch nor big projects. And they they haven't taken care of what they have, so it's kind of fixed. What yeah, and I have a problem with that. I just love to go out and buy new houses and do stuff. You know, even though they're out of repair a little bit or something. Like maybe I'm saying do as I say rather than I do. But with a municipality, they really I, th- I think should should spend some time making sure what they have is functional, is the best they can have before they go and, and go off in so many directions, things that they can't afford, can't manage, and uh, that that seems. I guess it's. Is that a lust for power when you have to expand your kingdom to make your job exist or something, but you're not taking care of what your job should you have you do? So it seems to be prevalent. I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people run across that. I'm I'm interested in circumstances like that. And again, I, I, anybody, I'm in the phone book under Kent Sawatsky. You know, they can, two landlines there, one's mine, 5288. And uh, my, my, uh, my email is my name at hotmail.com. And so anybody can kind of get a hold of me, you know, and I'm I'm happy to, to hear about things, and maybe we can all work together to fix things that uh, will help save the environment, make our lives better, and not cost a lot of money that could be spent better. I mean, lawsuit, that money's gone. It's down the drain, and and, uh, we have so many needs. You know, we have have so many things we should be spending our money on. Um, So that's one of my pet peeves. I guess I've listed quite a few pet peeves so far today, haven't I? Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Hey, man. I appreciate the opportunity, and I, I um, look forward to possibly being invited back sometime. And, Absolutely. And uh, I, I really I really would like to, to do the shout-out to people to uh, 
who, who want to get a hold of me, who have things and have suggestions. You know, that's what I thrive on. That's what my whole life's about. As you get old like me, you, you, you use your, lose your physical ability to do things, but you got to keep your mind working. And so that's what we can solve some problems together, even just a few problems. You know, I think, think that would be great. Thanks. I really appreciate you letting me come on. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Do you want to, as we close up here, do you want to hold up your, your little bacon press there? Well, this is coming in the future. It's the bacon press. And that's, that's for when we talk about things that are pork related, where cities or municipalities are spending money and they're, they're making money. So all the pork out there. And I did, I did, I said, told one of the city managers, I said, well, this is what I've got. And she's, are you going to be talking about my pork? You know? So anyway, it's, it's out there. And, and uh, for people who are aware of different things that are, are not, you know, that are being misspent, uh, we don't want to be paying for $2,000 toilet seats and those kind of things out there. But uh, those things need to be brought forward and, and, uh, and then hold the people to the, their, to the fire, you know, and get them to spend the money in a way that, that we want them. That's so, so many, I feel so much money is spent in ways which, uh, which a majority of the people would rather spend in, in different ways, such as maybe... Maybe we want our potholes filled rather than some other things that happen around. God, wouldn't that be nice? That'd be nice, right? Get rid of those potholes. Thanks again. Really, thanks, Kent. Thanks.